Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week we're doing an archive show. This one was first broadcast back on the 25th of March in 2018. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester. I'm ready whenever you are, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. Chester has got his baseball mitt on, his baseball cap, he's in his cleats. Man, you are ready to go, aren't you, Chester? Too bad it's raining outside. You got rained out today, buddy. <laughs> well, yeah, spring is in the air, and baseball season starts this week, doesn't it? Oh, it's exciting. Welcome, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard, the old-time radio show where we actually play radio shows, old-time radio shows, dramas and comedies that we remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. And some of these we might remember from their later incarnations as television programs, but most of them we do remember, and some of them we do remember hearing on the radio. We've got a great lineup this week. We have a Tales of the Texas Rangers with Joel McRae, a very funny episode of the Jack Benny Show, and we're going to follow things up with an episode of Gunsmoke entitled uh, The Wild West. And it's a good one. It's really a good one, I promise you that. So, uh, Chester, you're all ready to go. The coffee's made. We're ready to invite everybody in. Okay, well, come on in, everybody. Make yourselves at home. Grab a seat. We're going to get started in just a minute. Texas that I am going to see 
No other soldier knows her, no soldier, only me. She cried so when I left her, it like to broke my heart. And if I ever find her, we never more will part. She's the sweetest rose of color, the soldier ever knew. Her eyes are bright as diamonds, they sparkle like the dew. You may talk about your dearest May, sing of Rosalie, but the yellow rose of Texas is the only one for me. Tales of the Texas Rangers. Music of Texas. You know, when I was researching a song to play to introduce Tales of the Texas Rangers, I was amazed at how many songs Texas uh, has. Not only with the name Texas in it, but if you do a search, there's an awful lot of songs about cities in Texas, like Houston, we played a few weeks ago by Dean Martin, Galveston. Oh, there's a number of them. I, I Now I can't. Now they escape me. Uh, then, of course, there's, uh, you know, Yellow Rose of Texas. There's the Eyes of Texas are upon you. There's uh, mm, just a whole bunch. Anyway, getting back to the matter at hand, we have now an episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers, originally heard on the 8th of October in 1950. This one is entitled um, Living Death. And it's interesting, obviously, when you listen to this, it's going to sound dated. But if you listen closely, you realize that a social problem that they were facing, and, and a criminal problem for that matter, back in uh, 1950, in fact, I guess this uh, show even predates 1950, because these are based on files, actual files of the Texas Rangers, then the crime that they're investigating uh, predated 1950. So this was a problem back in the mid to late 40s. And that's the problem of uh, protecting the borders between Mexico and the United States and the illegal smuggling of drugs. The the name of this episode is Living Death, and it is talking about uh, drug trade. Now, you're going to hear some interesting language. Uh, Some of it is not politically correct, and I'm going to talk about that just a little bit at at the end of the show. I always find it interesting, the Tales of the Texas Rangers, whenever he gets on the radio, the police radio, he suddenly starts talking like a robot. Like in this one tonight, he's talking along, and all of a sudden it's, any report from lab on bank money wrapper? Why do you have to talk in clipped speech like that? Why can't you say, hey, by the way, did you uh, get anything back on those money wrappers from the bank? But no, he's talking along normally, then all of a sudden it's, any report from lab on bank money wrapper? You'll see what I'm talking about. They do that a lot in this show, and I often think, why in the world From 1950, October the 8th, here's Tales of the Texas Rangers starring Joel McRae. This one also features Tony Barreth, Barney Phillips, uh, Lawrence Dompkin, and Lillian Byeth. The name of this episode is Living Death. Presenting Joel McRae as Jace Pearson in Tales of the Texas Rangers. of the Texas Rangers, authentic stories from their official files. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles. 
and 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. From the files of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on facts. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, Living Death. It is 2 a.m. on the morning of October 3rd, 1948. A man stands in the brush on the American side of the Rio Grande, watching another man wading rapidly across the river from the Mexican side. Come on, come on, hurry up. Senor Green! Senor Green, where are you? Over here. Shut up. I almost fallen. Never mind. You crazy wearing a white sombrero with that moon? What is the harm, Senor Green? Nobody see the ego but you. Don't be too sure of that. Somebody followed me down here. I don't know whether I shook him or not. The border patrol? No. Hijacker, maybe. You got the package? Oh, see. Right here. 20 ounces. Okay, here's your money. 200 an ounce. $4,000. Oh, gracias. There'll be another shipment next week. Yeah, I know. I'll meet you here again on the 12th. Same time. And be a little more... You all right, amigo? Someone does follow you? Quiet. Son came from over there. He's moving this way. You'll have to crawl through that clearing first, and the moon's right on it. You gonna use a gun? What do you think I got it for? Keep quiet. There he is, coming into the moonlight. Yeah, and he doesn't see us. Just like a sitting duck. You hit him, senor? Yeah. It looks like I didn't hit him good enough. Yeah. That's better. Grab his leg. Senor, Grab I his don't... leg and get him out of this clear and into the brush. The longer it takes to find him, the better. Uh, see? Uh, Senor Green, uh, we shouldn't have met this place again. It will not be safe. All right, drop him here. No, we can't use this place again. It'll be too high. I must get back across the river. Where do we meet next time? Next time, use our old crossing. Nearly heat us. I'll get lost. Fast! The body of the slain man was discovered, but for two months there was no clue to point to his killer. And then suddenly another man was shot to death on the streets of a small town in West Texas, and Captain Stinson of the Texas Rangers radioed Ranger Jace Pearson to meet him at the county morgue. Bodies on this slab, Jace. Shot right through the heart, eh, Captain? Yeah. And here's our ballistics report. Forty-five caliber slug. Look at the markings on this photo of it. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Now, look at this ballistics photo. This is a report on the slug they took out of the man who was killed near the border two months ago. Yeah, I see what you mean. Both slugs came from the same gun. Uh Uh-huh. Autopsy report on this man completed yet? It's being typed up. We'll have it in a minute. Clive Mooney's waiting for it. Mooney? Oh, is he here? Yeah, I sent for both of you. Mooney worked on the border killing... Since it's tied up with his second killing, I thought you'd better tackle it together. Suits me fine. You got some special reason for wanting to see the autopsy report, Jace? 
Yeah. Look at the body. Marks on the left forearm. Look like the kind we usually find on drug addicts. Well, we'll know in a second. Now, here's Clyde now. Howdy, Captain. Hi, Jace. Howdy, Clyde. Good to see you, boy. Heard you talking as I come in, Jace. You hit it, all right. Here's the autopsy report. Man was a drug addict. He's probably just as well off dead, then. Bullet ties this one right up with your border case, Clyde. Guess we're both after the same killer. Yeah. I've been hunting wetbacks for two months trying to find the man who was toting the gun those slugs came from. Anything else you boys want to see here? No, Captain. No, Captain. Well, let's get out of here, then. Any identification on this man we just saw, Captain? Not a thing. Was dressed like a hobo. Doesn't fit any of the descriptions on missing persons reports, either. Might help a lot if we knew who he was. I can't see this killing as a job done by a wetback. Why not, Jace? It was somebody sneaking across the border. Tracks weren't clear by the time the body was found down there, but there were tracks. Both your cars in back near mine? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jace, go ahead with your theory. Well, a wetback sneaking into the country to earn a few dollars working is usually too poor to own a gun, unless he's carrying something across with him. You thinking of those hypo marks, Jace? It adds up to me. Narcotic smuggling. Might be. Man who was killed in my territory could have been shot because he spotted somebody crossing with the stuff. Well, that's possible. But how about the dead man we just left? He wasn't shot near the border. It looked like he was down and out. Had the habit, but not the price. Might have tried to get some narcotics by threatening to expose the peddler. I'll buy that, Jace. How about you, Clyde? Best bet I've had so far. All right, Jace. Where are you planning on starting? Back along the border. What, my area? No. Killing was made that spot too hot for them. They'll go back to some old crossing that's cooled off. I know a few, and you probably know a few. Well, yeah. Place west of Laredo. Then there's uh, Devil's River. That's been quiet lately. Yeah. And the Castellon area in the Big Bend, up through Lajitas and Redford, it's a big border. Yeah, so the sooner we get started, the more of it we can cover. You're dragging a double trailer, Jace. Suppose I load my horse in with charcoal, we'll use one car. Good. Let's go. Mooney and I covered the old smuggler crossings one by one. Weeks passed, and we hadn't found anything by the time we reached the Big Bend. We were riding the river near Lajitas. Getting kind of late, Jace. We ought to make camp turn in. Yeah. Might as well quit this spot tomorrow. Move on toward Redford. There's a good campsite ahead, clearing near that clump of honey mesquite. <laughs> You've got eyes like a cat. We can make radio contact when we get back to the car tomorrow. Captain may have something for us. Yeah. What was it he said he'd check on? Narcotic possession cases. Trying to pin down areas where the drug traffic seems to be the heaviest. Man who's smuggling narcotics must be picking up for a central distributor. Well, it could be just a small operator. A small operator's business wouldn't warrant the risk of crossing the border. Whoever makes the pickup is working for a boss. Well, why couldn't he be the distributor making his own pickup? Ah, big boy would play it safe. Stick somebody else's neck out, not his own. Ah, Here we are. Ooh, ooh, Charlie. Ooh, boy. Ah. You want to get the bedrolls off, Jace? I'll strike a fire, get some chuck cooking. No. Now let's skip the fire and eat cold. Why? We're moving out of here tomorrow. I'd like to watch one more night. It's too quiet here. Haven't been reports of any trouble in this section in almost three years. We haven't even spotted a wetback trail. Okay, no fire. Might as well let the horses drink before we hobble them. Come on, Chuck. Come on, boy. 
want to rub Charco's legs down tonight. Leche Gia's been cutting him up. Yeah, I got a few nasty scratches myself. boy. Drink up. You looking for something over there, Jace? Yeah. Let the horses go for a second. Come here. Bring a flashlight. What is it? Slight depressions in this mud bank. Just barely saw them. Flash the light. Yeah. They were tracks, all right. Not much left, though. Something else here. Piece of paper half buried. Must have been stepped on. Hmm, brown. Looks like that brown stickum paper they use to seal packages. No. This is the kind of paper a bank uses to wrap money. Look. Traces of blue on here from an ink stand. Yeah, can you read it? No. Maybe the lab at Austin can. Anybody who tore a band from a packet of money in this spot must have been counting it. Yeah. This isn't exactly a business neighborhood. Let's stake out, boy. We found some kind of a crossing, and it may be the one we're looking for. We didn't dare move out of the area. We took turns sleeping and keeping the horses out of sight as much as possible. At night, we crept out along the river, moving slowly undercover. Five nights now, Jace. Maybe they won't cross again in the same spots. I know. A mile above or below us, and we'd never even see them. We found tracks in a couple of places along here. They might... What? Oh. <laughs> One of our horses. Thought we had something for a minute. Clyde, that isn't one of ours. It's coming from the wrong direction. Put your ear to the ground. I don't have to. I can hear him coming now. It can't be our horses. They're hobbled, and the one we hear is moving free. Come on. Don't show yourself on the riverside. That's where his contact will come from. Coming now. There's something moving in the water out there. A few hundred yards down. Our horses would have to be up the other way. We'll have to try it on foot. We haven't time to go back and get mounted. If they make a fast pass, we'll never get there in time anyhow. We'll have to risk a little noise. That moving horse will cover our approach until he stops. Step it up. The contact is across to this side. By now, I can't see him out there anymore. Wait. Wait. The horse is stopping, too. Diego? Go ahead, senor. Come on, give me the stuff. Here's the money. They're not wasting any time, Jace. No. Let's go. Stay where you are! Both of you! Keep going, Diego. Run! Here, boy! I'll get the one in the river, Jace! Stop that horse! Get him, Clyde? He, he shot at close range, Jason. I had to kill him. We got to leave him and get after that rider. Let's get to the horses. Right. Only we've been 50 yards closer to him back there, Jace. He went over the ridge up ahead. We can pick up his trail up there. I could swear I hit him when I fired. I hope you did. Narcotic traffic's the filthiest thing on earth. Oh, here's the ridge, Chase. Whoa, boy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Charco. Boy. Yeah, look where we have to track. Uh, Mesquite and greasewood. Ground as hard as rock. Won't be much of a trail here, Jace. It'll take us hours to cut back and forth looking for soft spots. Yeah, no time for that. Get off. Yeah. Uh, uh. It's going to be too bad if I didn't hit him. A blood trail's our only chance. Yeah. 
They'll find another contact for narcotics across the border. Sure they will. Unless we get to the man we're after. He's the only one who can lead us to the ring on this side of the border. And we've got to get to him before he gets rid of that package. We combed the ground for a blood trail, and we found it. Not much, but enough to follow. It led through the mesquite and greasewood, but the rider knew the country. He'd been weaving through the roughest spots. He's a smart one, Jace. Yeah, slowing us down all the way. Got a good hour on us by now. And an hour is too long. He's probably just using that horse to get to a car someplace. We can't waste any more time trail cutting them. No. He must have headed for cover someplace to take care of that wound. General direction seems to be northeast. We'll have to gamble on it. Okay, let's ride. Get up, Charlie. After two miles, we reached a road and picked up the trail again. We had horse tracks to follow now, and they led to a dilapidated barn near a rundown ranch house. He was here, all right, Clyde. Blood in the hay and his torn cloth ripped a piece off his shirt to make a bandage. He knew this spot and headed right for it. Must have been here before. Yeah, but we're still way behind him. Main road's only a mile or so from here. He's gotten to his car by now. The ranch house is dark. Well, let's wake him up. I might have seen something or heard something. Leave the horses here. Okay. This place sure has gone to seed, Jason. Yeah, big house, falling apart. Fences sagging, no stock. Must have been a nice ranch once, though. Uh, isn't anymore. Man gets his living from the earth, you'd think he'd take better care of it. Here's the house. Open up. Hey, wake up in there. Who is it? Texas Rangers, ma'am. We'd like to talk to you. Just a minute. electric power line to the house, but when she opened the door, she was carrying a candle. The inside of the house was almost barren. What do you want? We're looking for a rider who came through here tonight. He stopped in your barn. You see or hear anything? No, I didn't. You rent out a horse to anybody? <laughs> a horse? Range, if I had a horse, I'd have sold him for food for my kids. Uh, sorry, we have to bother you, ma'am. It's all right. What difference does it make? You know anybody around who... Ma'am, would you mind holding your candle over the mantel of this fireplace? Why? Jace, that picture. The picture was a photograph of a man. The face was younger, full and healthier than when we'd seen it last. But there was no doubt about who it had been. Jace, that's a picture of the man we saw with the cap, the body, and the morgue. The mo- Oh, no. Take it easy, ma'am. Mama, I'm sorry. When? When did you see him? Oh, he can't be dead. He can't be. I'm afraid he is, ma'am. You'll help us a lot if you'll tell us who he was. Jack Prentice. My husband. Oh, my poor kid. Oh, why didn't you report him missing? Because he left me two years ago. He'd sold and lost everything we owned. He was sick, half crazy, acting like a madman. 
I don't know why I didn't do anything. You've never been like that before. You got any idea at all what started it? A friend of his. Jack was all right. He was a good husband and father till he took up with Virgil Green. Then he spent more time with him than he did with us. He must have been gambling or something. We had a good place here. Then it was all gone. This isn't going to be easy to take, ma'am. Your husband wasn't a gambler. He was a drug addict. Oh, why didn't he tell me? I begged him to go to a doctor, but he wouldn't. When did you see him last? I told you, two years ago. When Virgil Green left him, Jack left right after him. You seen this Virgil Green since then? No. You know where Green went after he left here? No, but it must have been Chino. I got a couple of letters from Jack came from there. And then he stopped writing. Not even a word to his kid. Ma'am, I hate to leave you like this, but we'll see if we can get you some help later on. Nothing can help anymore. Not for me. But I'd beg for my kid. You won't have to. You'll hear from us. Come on, Clyde. We gotta get the boy who gunned her husband, Jace. We gotta get more than one. We gotta get them all. The whole ring. There'll be a hundred more like her husband. Dying slower and worse than he did. You think this Virgil Green is the link? It must be. Fits the cards we've been playing. Jack Prentice couldn't raise money to buy from Green. Threatened to expose him and Green killed him. Then he killed the man near the border, too. Gotta try to pick up Green at Chino. He knew this place. It's a fair bet he's the man we've been chasing. Get up, Charco. Oh, boy. Taking him is gonna be a pleasure. We can't take him. Not until we find out if he still has that package. We better knock on these ponies until we get to our car. Uh, get up, Charco. Oh, yeah. Oh, we got to the car. But before we headed for Chino, I put in a phone call to Captain Stinson. All right, Jace. I'll have a ranger plane pick up that bank wrapper and send it to the lab. It may be a bank in Chino. Well, that fits with a few other things. My checkup shows a heavy drug traffic in and around the Chino area. And the town where Prentice was killed is only 60 miles from Chino. Good. That narrows it down. Uh, see if you can dig up a Chino address on Virgil Green while we're driving up there. He's only two hours ahead of us. We can burn up road. We may reach there almost as soon as he does. Let you know by radio, Jase. I'll head for Chino myself. Thanks, Captain. We'll see you there. Less than an hour out of Chino when our short wave came through with Green's address. KTXA to Unit 10. Unit 10 to KTXA. Go ahead. Address of subject Virgil Green is Greendale Ranch, State Highway 39, 14 miles west of Chino. Got it. Any report from lab on bank money wrapper? Stamp on money wrapper restored by Austin Lab. Money and packet came from Chino State Bank corner Main and Crockett in Chino. 10-4. Unit 10, clear. KDXA, Austin. That's all we need, Jace. Yeah, we can get Green in sight before he unloads that package. It was dark when we reached the Greendale Ranch outside of Chino. 
We'd made up time on Green's head start because we saw a car and horse trailer pull into the ranch just ahead of us. A man got out of the car and limped up to the house, and he was carrying a package. Walks like a man's been shot in the leg, Jace. Yeah. Don't turn in after him. Go on past the ranch. Okay. Where do you want to stop? Where we can watch the house and keep the car shielded. Well, there was some heavy brush on the other side of the road just across from Green's place. All right. Turn around and go back. Keep an eye on him from there. Kept a watch on Green's house all night, but nobody showed to pick up the package. The next morning, Green came out and got into his car. We followed him into Chino. He's pulling into a parking space up near the next corner, Jace. Yeah, slow down. He's getting out. He's got the package, all right, sticking out of his pocket. Park here, quick. He's going into that building on the corner. Come on, before we lose him. Hey, the street sign, Main and Crockett. And he went in there, Jace. Chino State Bank. That's where the money wrapper came from. Don't go in. Just walk around the corner. We can look through the bank windows. There he is, Jace. Last counter, the rear of the bank. Safe deposit boxes. Going through the rail into the vault. Must have a box he's going to plant the stuff in. We going to grab him? No. Wait he comes out. But he won't have it on him then. We got enough on him. We can pick him up any time. Got to stay with that package until we know who gets it next. Hey, he wasn't in there long. He's coming out. The package isn't in his pocket now. All right, get out of sight there. He was in there just long enough to open up the box and drop it. Yeah, you've seen the package now. Drift around to the front of the bank. See that nobody leaves that vault with it unless you follow him. Okay, where are you going? To meet the captain and get a court order to open that vault. We got the order. Then we waited until the bank closed and the employees were out. We got the president of the bank at his home and took him back to open the vault. Narcotics, eh? Most distressing, gentlemen. Oh, come in, please. All right. Which box is Green's? 421, right here. Want to open it for us? Why, of course. What? It's, oh. it's empty. Now, couldn't you have made a mistake, Ranger? No. Clyde, are you sure that package wasn't taken out? Positive, Jace. I watched every single person went in or out till the bank closed. Our order covers the rest of these boxes, doesn't it, Captain? Yes. All right. Let's open them all. We found what we were after, but not the way we expected to find it. The stuff was there, all right, but it had been split up into smaller quantities. Owners of these boxes must be names you have on your list of dope peddlers then, Captain. I'll check that on the bank records. Yeah, but how'd this stuff get split up? Green wasn't in here long enough to do it. No, he couldn't have done it. His key would only give him access to his own box. They have to be done by somebody with a set of duplicate keys. Somebody working here. Well, that's impossible. Only the head cashier and I have duplicate keys. Were you in the vault after the bank closed? No, sir. I haven't been in here all day. That's the truth, Jace. I could see him through the window. And then the head cashier's our boy. He's the distributor. And a pretty clever distribution scheme, too. No direct contact, and he has access to the vault after the guard has left. If he's handled those packets, there'll be fingerprints on them. 
What's his name and where does he live? His name is August Weber. He's got a big ranch over near Estrella on Highway 39. And I know how he got it now. He said he was making money on investments. Investments? He meant a black market in human souls. Come on, Clyde. Let's get him and Virgil Green. We found the house. An elaborate building on a fine ranch. There was another car in the driveway when we pulled up. Hey, Jace. That car in front of the place. Yeah, we're in luck. It's the car Virgil Green was driving. Light around the side of the house by that French door. Maybe they didn't hear us drive in. Good. Let's slip up on that side of the porch and find out. Might be able to take him easy. Uh, don't count on it. Cold-blooded killer like Green. He'd keep on killing as long as he has a gun. We slipped up to the French door. It was locked and we couldn't see through it. But their voices drifted out through an open window. I'm telling you, Weber, my leg is infected. I gotta see a doctor. Have him report a bullet wound. You want me to die? I could put a bullet in you, too. Well, let me know when you want to try. Then I'm a little killing myself, Green. Only I've been smarter about it. Nobody's caught me yet. All right, Clyde. Let's kick a hole in this door. All right. Don't move. Ranger. Don't reach. Uh, Clyde, you hurt that? My, my side. You, you're hit too, Jace. Blood on your head. Yeah, just a neck. Come on. I'll get you to a hospital. How about... How about them? Leave them for the coroner. They're both dead. gun found beside the body of Virgil Green proved to be the murder weapon the Rangers had been seeking. Narcotics peddlers having safe deposit boxes at the Chino State Bank were rounded up, and they admitted they had been supplied by August Weber. They were tried and sentenced. The traffic in living death was halted. Here again is the star of our show, Joel McRae. A friend of mine returned recently from a visit to Texas. While he was there, he'd seen a Texas ranger, and he asked his host, a rancher, what the requirements were for a man who wanted to be a ranger. The host looked thoughtful for a moment and said, Well, I'd say if a man could ride like a Mexican, trail like an Indian, shoot like a Tennessean, fight like the devil, he might have a chance to get in. I hope you'll be with us again next week. Same time, same station. Good night. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the MGM production Stars in My Crown. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Barney Phillips, Larry Dobkin, Byron Kane, Ken Harvey, and Lillian Byers. 
This story was transcribed and adapted by Joel Murcott, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. This is Hal Gibney speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. From October 8th, 1950, name of episode was Living Death. <laughs> uh, like I said, a little dated, but certainly the social and criminal elements uh, were really almost out of today's headlines, weren't they? Now, just a little bit about that uh, term, which is considered today a racial slur, of wetback. I certainly make no political judgments here. I'm neutral in this issue. But I can certainly understand both sides that are concerned today. People that live in this country are interested in preserving their their status quo, their level or standard of living. And people that live in Mexico that are poverty-stricken certainly want, want to improve things for their family. And who can blame them for that? So it creates a very sticky wicket. But it's interesting that they use the term wetback. And I remember as a kid growing up that that was a very common expression. And have you ever wondered where that came from? Well, it is believed that it was a slang term for those of Mexican heritage, especially illegal aliens. And they believe it was based on the fact that illegal aliens used to have to swim the Rio Grande River. And therefore, they were wet when they arrived illegally in this country. Now, I'm quoting from a uh, source called the Urban Dictionary here. Just a second, let me get my notes. It says that uh, the term wetback was a racial slur referring to Mexicans. The term originates from Operation Wetback. Now, I'm, I'm going to assume this is correct. It sounds correct. And if I'm wrong, please, uh, please send me an email let me know. But it says in 1949, the Border Patrol seized nearly 280,000 illegal immigrants. By 1953, the numbers had grown to more than 865,000, and the U.S. government felt pressured to do something about the onslaught of immigration, much like they're fighting in Arizona and California and other states today. What resulted was Operation Wetback, devised in 1954 under the supervision of the new Commissioner of the Immigration and Nationalization Service, General Joseph Swing. Swing oversaw the Border Patrol and organized state and local officials along with the police. The object of his intense border enforcement were illegal aliens. But common practice of Operation Wetback focused on Mexicans in general. The police swarmed through Mexican-American barrios throughout the southeastern states. Some Mexicans, fearful of the potential violence of this militarization, fled back south across the border. In 1954, the agents discovered over one million illegal immigrants. In some cases, illegal immigrants were deported along with their American-born children, who were by law U.S. citizens. The agents used a wide brush in their criteria for interrogating potential aliens. They adopted the practice of stopping Mexican-looking citizens on the street and asking for identification. This practice incited and angered many U.S. citizens who were of Mexican-American descent. Opponents in both the United States and Mexico complained of police state methods and Operation Wetback was abandoned. So isn't that interesting? So there's two different explanations. 
where what we would consider today a slur came from. And I, I guess technically they're both about the same. Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, and the name of that one was Tijuana Taxi. Before we uh, get into the comedy corner, we'll have a little warm-up here with two of the funniest men that were ever on radio, Bob and Ray. This time, Ray is interviewing a gentleman whose hobby is collecting odd-shaped fruits and vegetables. The gentleman sitting here on my left has a collection that I'm sure is the envy of uh, almost every hobbyist of viewing tonight. Uh, he, uh, this is his collection right here. Now, uh, his name is Parnell W. Gar. Uh-huh. Right? It uh, rings a bell, I know, with all you collectors <laughs> of uh, odd-shaped uh, fruits and vegetables. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder for the non-viewer or non-hobbyist looking in, Parnell, if you could tell us a little bit uh, about your collection. I'd be happy to, Ray. My collection consists of odd-shaped fruit and vegetables. I've uh, traveled all over the country to assemble uh, the classic items that I have here tonight. Whenever I see a story in the paper about someone who's raised a Hubbard squash in the shape of an elephant, I hop on a plane and fly out and dicker with them to get the item for my collection. And uh, I assume that uh, you have some of the more prized specimens here in these uh, paper sacks. Yes, I do. I discovered that you can't get albums for a collection such as mine. <laughs> and it costs quite a bit to fly around the country uh, adding things to it. So to cut corners, I decided to put them all in brown paper sacks. 
Well, you know, it's, it's too bad they don't have uh, albums for collections such as yours. <laughs> but I, I notice you have them all neatly labeled, though, as to what's inside, uh, yes, what I you do. paid for them, and uh, where you got them and everything. Well, that uh, gives me all the pertinent information. Uh, then uh, later on, I'll know where it came from. For instance, this bag here tells me that inside is a cluster of five carrots grown from a single seed and attached at the top. I bought that from an old gentleman in Minnesota in 1974, and I paid $3.25 for it. Well, that's a pretty good price to pay, I guess. Uh, five carrots connected together and grown from a single seed. I think so. The old gentleman needed money, so he parted with it cheap. <laughs> I, uh... Of course, I had to fly from my home in Florida to Minneapolis, and that was about $400. So this, that figure... That doesn't really mean uh, what that item is worth. Well, you have to figure in your, your airfare. This thing here intrigues me. I just spotted oh, it. that one near you, yes. It says uh, cantaloupe in the shape of a dill pickle. Dill pickle, that's right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's hard for me to imagine. I wonder, I wonder, would it be possible for you, uh, Parnell, to open one of these sacks and to describe and show our viewers uh, just one of these specimens. I know they're quite want, nice to see. You want me to open one of the sacks right would here? Would you like huh? to see some of these uh, specimens? I'm sure they would. So if it's uh, not too much bother, Paul, no. would you do that? No, that's not too much trouble. Are you sure you want to see it? I think I can just remove the tape. There you are. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Oh, hey. Here, here. Well, don't give it to me. Boy, that smells terrible. You've got That's... to realize this fresh produce is four or five years old. Oh, man. That cantaloupe shaped like a dill pickle I picked up in September of 72. That's well, six years listen, old. I don't care about the date. Just uh, seal it up, will you? I mean, it's really getting to me. That's, it's getting me in the eyes. Well, you know, oh, it man. just doesn't seem to be any way of keeping odd-shaped fruit and vegetables odd-shaped. I haven't found it anyway. That's why I put the stickers across the top of the bag. Well, well actually, what you have here is, uh, is garbage. Well, I suppose you could oh, term it that, wild. yeah. But, of course, I saw all of this stuff when it was fresh, and I have the memory in my mind before... <laughs> of all of these things before they decayed. Well, listen. Now, for instance, here's a tomato shaped just like a chicken. That's the way that grew. Look at that. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> worse than the first one. Oh, boy. Well, oh man, get this. Just clearly. remember, you asked me to come here, Ray. Listen, I accept full responsibility for having you open these saying, I, 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 would you please pack them and leave? I don't want to be impolite. All please, right, I please will. understand. Maybe this I'll take them over to, to my stomach. Dinah Shore. What? I might take them to Dinah Shore. She well, might like to see them. Okay, but please, I don't mean to be rude, but would you take it and leave, please? All right, I guess this wasn't the place to display well, them. Well, I sure hope this doesn't uh, discourage all you uh, future hobbyists from uh, looking for a hobby of your own. Oh, man, this is... I wonder... Backstage, uh, could somebody bring out uh, some oil or wintergreen or something? Bob and Ray, man, they were funny. That clip was taken from a Tonight Show with Johnny Carson from Burbank. Uh, I actually got to see Bob and Ray in person uh, on the Johnny Carson show when it used to come live from New York. and We had 
tickets to a taping one night, and I must have sat 10 feet from them as they did one of their routines, and it was just hilarious. They really, really were the kings of uh, of radio. <laughs> Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, coming tonight. <laughs> All right, coming up now, we have an episode of the Jack Benny Show. This one is from November the 21st, 1948. And it's about Jack trying to get hold of his advertising agency. It's pretty good. A couple uh, things of note. First of all, this one shows you just how Benny could could make something funny out of something insignificant, like a phone call. And, uh, of course, the telephone operators and being put on hold and all of the distractions, it really does make for a very, very funny show. By the way, I first had this, uh, this show cataloged as guest-starring Don Amici. But when I listened to it, this was not Don Amici in this. So then I had to go back and try to figure out what show I was listening to. And I knew that it, this had to be around November of 48 because there's a reference in here to um, Dewey winning the election. And you remember Dewey went against Truman in 1948. And that's the famous, what newspaper was it, that had the picture of Truman holding the headline? I, th- I think it was the Chicago paper, wasn't it? But anyway, it said Dewey wins. <laughs> Some of the press agencies had made a premature announcement. So anyway, you're going to hear that. So I knew right away it was from November 48. And then I went in and found out that the name of this episode is actually Jack Tries to Call His Advertising Agency. Okay, here we go from November the 21st, 1948, The Jack Benny Show. <laughs> The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, once again, we take you to Jack Benny's home in Beverly Hills. It's Saturday morning, and Rochester is dusting the living room. Uh Uh-oh, look at that big spiderweb in the corner. I'll get the broom and... No, I better take this one down easy. The last time I broke a spider web, Mr. Benny got awful mad. He likes to starch them and use them for doilies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'll take it down later after I dust the piano. Well, that takes care of the piano. Now for the other room. Hmm, that's funny. I'm not even near the piano. There it goes again. I better look inside. Just as I thought, a mouse. Oh, well, I'll finish my dusting and then I'll... (laughs) That's what he gets for not belonging to the union. Oh, Rochester. Rochester. 
Good morning, boss. Did you have a nice sleep? I sure did. And now that I think of it, I had the most pleasant dream. You did? Yeah, last night I dreamt that Hosea Turby was giving a piano recital. I could hear it so plainly. Well, you won't hear it tonight. <laughs> How do you know? Jose is in the trap. <laughs> what are you talking about? What you heard last night was a mouse. He was in the piano. Oh, oh. Say, by the way, Rochester, my whole gang and I are going to the football game, so as soon as they get here, let me know, will you? Okay. <laughs> What's that? Must be another mouse. Oh, that's a shame. He was so talented, too. <laughs> Bill Harris could have used them. You know? Oh, by the way, boss. Yes? I noticed there was a little memorandum on your night table that said something about calling your agency. Oh, yes. I'm glad you reminded me, Rochester. I got to call my advertising agency, Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Batten, Barton, which and who? Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. They handle my radio show. I'll have to get the number from information. Information? Oh, operator, I'd like to get the number of Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. How do you spell that, sir? B-A-T-T-E-N-B-A-R-T-O-N-D-U-R-S-T-I-N-E-O-S-B-O-R-N. What's his first name, please? Operator, that's the name of an advertising agency, Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Oh, I'm sorry. One moment, please. Thank you. Can it be the Brias that fills the Brias <laughs> with rare and magic perfume? La, 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 la. Uh, here you are, sir. That number is Hollywood 7337. Thank you. H O seven three. Three, uh, seven. Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Oh, miss, this is Jack Benny. I'd like to speak to Mr. Batten. Mr. Batten isn't in. Oh. Well, then give me Mr. Barton, please. Mr. Barton is in Chicago. Oh. Well, uh, then could you connect me with Mr. Durston? Mr. Durston is out of town for the weekend. Hmm. Well, then I'll speak to Mr. Osborne. Mr. Osborne's line is busy. Oh. Shall we go around again? <laughs> no, no, no. I'll wait for Mr. Osborne. Very well. I'll answer the door. Hello, Rochester. Oh, hello, Miss Livingston. Come on in. Glad to see you, Miss Livingston. I heard you had laryngitis last week. Oh, it's my own fault. I never should have tried to talk Mr. Benny into giving me a raise. Oh, <laughs> You know, I didn't mind. If you talk to Mr. Benny about money and all you lose is your voice, you're lucky. I know what you mean, Miss Livingston. Last time I asked Mr. Benny for a raise, I got laryngitis, locked jaw, glove across the face, and a challenge to a duel. What? With bicycle pumps at 20 paces. A duel with bicycle pumps? Oh, we don't try to hurt each other. If I blow his toupee off, I win. Hello, Jack. Uh, hello, honey. How do you feel? My girdle is killing me. Operator, I was talking to Miss Livingston. I'm sorry if I disconnected you. No, no, operator. Just get me Mr. Osborne's office. Uh, Jack, who are you calling? Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Sounds like a trunk falling downstairs. Yeah. 
Say, Jack, what about the football game? I'll be through in a minute. And anyway, the rest of the gang isn't here yet. Uh, who's playing today? UCLA against USC. It'll be a good game, even though both teams have been beaten. Beaten Barton Durston and Osborne. <laughs> Operator, I'm holding the line. I'm waiting for Mr. Osborne's office. Jack, I hope the gang gets here so we can leave early. Why? What's the rush? Well, the last time we went to see Southern California play UCLA, you wouldn't pay a dollar to park near the Coliseum. So you kept on driving. Well, certainly. And you wouldn't pay 50 cents for parking. You still kept on driving. Well, listen, they're not going to rob me. You wouldn't even pay a quarter. Look, Mary. Then you wouldn't pay a dime. Well, Mary, you'll have to admit one thing. When I finally found a parking place, we saw an exciting game, didn't we? Yeah, Georgia Tech versus Arizona State. (laughs) What's the difference? We saw a game. They weren't playing at night. We'd have missed that one, too. All right, all right. Anyway, I'm never going to pay a dollar just to park my car. What do you think I am, a millionaire? Yes. <laughs> well, I want to stay that way. And another thing, Mary... Mr. Benny, I can give you Mr. Osborne's office now. Good, good. Hello, this is Mr. Osborne's office. Is there anything I can do for you all? Huh? Oh, this is Jack Benny. I'd like to speak to Mr. Osborne. Oh, Mr. Osborne, just step into Mr. Duffy's office. Duffy? Uh, who's Mr. Duffy? He's the president of Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Hmm. Well, can you ring Mr. Duffy's office for me? Just a minute, sugar. <laughs> I'll turn you back to our little old switchboard operator. Just hold on, please. <laughs> well, thank you. Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Hello again. This is Jack Benny talking. <laughs> Will you please ring Mr. Duffy's office? I'm sorry, but Mr. Duffy's line is busy. Just hold on a moment. All right, I'll wait. Say, Mary, I noticed you handed Rochester a package when you came in. What was it? Oh, that was the present you gave me for my birthday. You can have it back. But, Mary, I thought those doilies were beautiful. All I know is they keep catching flies. <laughs> well, look, Mary, if you don't appreciate... There's the front door, Rochester. Oh, I'll get it, Jack. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Dennis. Say, where'd you get that beautiful tan? Oh, I took a boat trip on my friend's yacht. Look, here's a picture of me taken in the cabin. Well, gee, what a big cabin. It has a porthole in it and everything. A porthole? Yes, there it is. Oh, my goodness. Well, what's the matter? I thought it was a Bendix and threw all my clothes in it. <laughs> Albert Einstein. Oh, come on in, Dennis. I'll be with you in a minute. I'm calling Mr. Duffy of Batten, Barton, Durson, and Osborne. That's my advertising agency. Why do you need them? Well, Dennis, they put on my program for Lucky Strike. They handle all the publicity, the exploitation, the advertising, the commercials. They hire the musicians, the writers, the actors. They do everything. Why do they need you? Because they want a comedy show and I'm a comedian. And who's Mr. Duffy? He's the president. President of what? Of Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Jack, why are you getting so mad at him? Well, I can't help it. He's such a stupid kid. Oh, he is not. I am too. <laughs> huh? Who else would throw his clothes out of a porthole? I don't know. Batten, Barton, and Durston. What? Osborne wouldn't do it. <laughs> Miss, look, I'm holding the phone here, waiting to speak to Mr. Osborne in Mr. Duffy's office. Mr. 
Mr. Duffy's line is still busy. Will you hold on, please? Yes, yes. Now, Dennis, while we're waiting, let's hear the song you're going to do on the program. Okay. I'm still connected. Operator! Operator! Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Look, this is Mr. Bennigan. I'm still waiting for Mr. Osborne. Now, he's in Mr. Duffy's office. Oh, yes. I can ring Mr. Duffy's office for you now. Thank you. This is the office of Mr. Duffy, president of Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. <laughs> Miss, this is Jack Benny. Is Mr. Osborne in Mr. Duffy's office? No, sir. He just left for an important conference at another advertising agency. Oh, do you know which agency he went to? Yes, he went to Sullivan, Stauffer, Caldwell, and Bailey. Oh. Well, miss, I'm very anxious to speak to Mr. Osborne. Where is the office of Sullivan, Stauffer, Caldwell, and Bayless? On Coinga Gower, Argyle, and Vine. Coinga <laughs> Gower, Argyle, and Vine? They used to be on Washington, Jefferson, Madison, and Tippecanoe. Tippecanoe? And Tyler, too. <laughs> Well, maybe i better not bother Mr. Osborne. Just let me speak to Mr. Duffy, please. I'm sorry, but while we were talking, Mr. Duffy stepped out for a minute. Would you like to hold on? Well, all right. Oh, by the way, Dennis. 
Dennis, that was a swell song you just sang. I, I think it'll be great on the program. I'm not going to sing it on the program. I'm quitting your show. <laughs> quitting again? For what reason? I've got plenty of reasons. Plenty. Well, give me one good one. All right. I've been working for you for nine years, and I've never had a Sunday off. Well, for he- Look, Dad, Sunday is the day we do our broadcast. Excuses. Always excuses. <laughs> what? Why don't you broadcast on Saturday? Because that's the day you do your program. I do? What time? Eight o'clock locally and ten o'clock in the east. Who's my sponsor? Colgate. Oh, I'm supposed to be dumb, but look at the plug I got. <laughs> Plug? That's a fine plug. We're in my house. Who heard you? Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Look, operator, this is still Jack Benny. I'm waiting to talk to Mr. Duffy. I'm sorry, but Mr. Duffy had to rush out to see Murphy, Garland, Kirby, and Dill. Oh, is that another agency? No, that's the USC backfield. <laughs> oh, 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 and oh. But Mr. Osborne is back. I'll ring his office. Thank you. Mary, this will take a few minutes. You and Dennis wait for me in the library, will you? And Mr. Osborne's little old office. <laughs> Look, this is Jack Benny again. I'd like to speak to Mr. Osborne. I'm sorry, but Mr. Osborne is busy on another phone. Will you hold on? Yes, yes. Oh, by the way, miss, has the agency always been Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne? No, it used to be just Batten, Barton, and Durston. Oh. Well, why did they take in little old Osborne? <laughs> they needed a fourth for bridge. Oh. oh, I see. But wait a minute. If it's Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne, how did Duffy get to be president? Huh? And they were his little old cars. <laughs> Uh, thank you. You're welcome, you little old possum push. <laughs> Gee, she sounds cute. I'd like to meet her sometime. Come in. Oh, hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. I'll be with you in a minute. I'm on the phone. The rest of the gang is in the library. Okay, Dad. Hey, look, before I forget it, I want to tell you that we're going to have a substitute guitar player in the orchestra tomorrow. Remley has to go out of town to see his brother. Well, why does he have to go tomorrow? It's the only visiting day in the month. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that Frankie's brother was in again. Yep. What's it for this time? Same as always, counterfeiting. <laughs> Did they send him back to the usual place? Yep, he's first again at the federal pen. <laughs> well, how, how'd they happen to catch him this Jumped time? Jumped the gun, he put Dewey's picture on a $10 bill. <laughs> Frankie always was an eager beaver. <laughs> Look, Phil, I'm busy on the phone. Well, I can't wait, Jackson. I'm driving Alice to the game. Oh, is Alice outside? Why don't you bring her in? Well, if we drove up, I got a flat. She's fixing it. <laughs> Phil, you mean to say you're letting Alice fix a flat tire? Don't worry. I called the newsreels first. 
Well, so long. I'll see you later. Okay, Phil. Sorry I couldn't talk to you, but I'm trying to get my agency. Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Well, when you get them, tell them to give their regards to my agency. Who's that? Bottle, bourbon, thirsty, and chaser. <laughs> oh, Harris, if your brain had a meter on it, you couldn't pay the bill. <laughs> oh, fine. Some brain. Well, I'll see you at the Coliseum. So long, Cliff. Cliff? Hey, Alice, you can wash your hands when you get to the game. Don't bother about it now. What a guy. You know, Phil is the only man I know who oh, can... Oh, Mr. Bailey, you still holding on to that little old phone? Yes, is Mr. Osborne ready to talk to you now? Uh, no, but he'll be ready to talk to you all soon, sure enough. Oh, uh, say, Miss. Uh-huh. You're, uh, you're from the South, aren't you? No, I'm from New Hampshire. <laughs> but, but the way you talk... I bought these teeth in Alabama. <laughs> Oh. My honey child, it's my lunch hour and I have to go, but I'll switch you back to our little old operator. Okay. Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Miss, uh, this is Jack Barton. I mean, Benny. Jack Benny. I'm still holding on to speak to Mr. Osborne. Yes, sir. I'll connect you when he's ready. Hold on, please. I'm holding. I'm holding. <laughs> Gee, I can't understand why... Say, I'll... Jack, if we wait any longer, we'll be late for the game. Yes, yeah, sir. We're going to go now. Yeah, I wish I could go with you, but I got to talk to somebody at my agency. Well, say, Mr. Benny, when I had lunch at the Brown Derby, I saw Mr. Osborne. He was in conference with Hennessy, Tennessee, McCarthy, and O'Brien about a new radio show. <laughs> Hennessy, Tennessee, McCarthy, and O'Brien. Is that an agency? No, that's McNamara's band. Oh, Hennessy, Tennessee, toodle the flute, and the music, something grand. A credit to you. How do you do? How do you do? <laughs> I'm not long for this world. <laughs> Dennis, I'm on the phone. Get, gee, Mary, the least you can do is wait for me. This is business. Oh, all right, all right. I'll be with you as soon as I get Batten, Barton, Durston, and Osborne. Oh, miss, miss. Osborne, Durston, Barton, and Batten. <laughs> what? I just thought I'd break the monotony. Oh, well, what about Mr. Osborne? Right now, he's talking to our lawyers, Rockford, Saffer, Ballin, and Lady Esther. <laughs> Lady Esther? What's she doing there? Just a minute, I'll ask her. Look, miss. I'm in no mood for jokes. Now, look, I've got a business call to make. I'll get it, boss. Never mind, Rochester. Come in. Oh, hello, Jack. Hello, Don. I'm talking on the phone. Come on in. All right, Jack. Oh, I've got a big surprise for you. I brought along Spurzel, Stevens, Days, and Bell. Spurzel, Stevens, Days, and Bell? No, this is Batten, Barton, Dirt. I know that, miss. Look, and I'm talking to Lady Esther. I mean, Don Wilson. Don, who are Stephen Spurzel, Days, and Bell? Why, your quartet, the sportsman. Isn't that right, fellas? Mm. Look, Don, I'll be with you in a minute. There's a very important call I'm waiting but for. But, Jack, the boys want you to hear a commercial they've worked out. And Mary's in it, too. I am? What do I do, Don? Mary, please. Look, oh, this is great, Mary. You love it. Are you ready, fellas? Don, can't you wait till I get off the phone? But, Jack, it'll only take a minute. But, Don, how can you do it? There's nobody here to play the piano. Shall I let Jose out of the trap? <laughs> Oh, operator, operator. Take it, fellas. Oh, for heaven's sake. We love something, yes, we do. We love something the same as you. We love something, do we not? Love that something, but we won't say what. Didn't take us long to fall. Just one puff and that was all. Now we buy them every day. But what it is, we will not say. We love something, yes, we do. 
try and guess it, here's a clue Made of light and fine tobacco, round and firm and fully packed I have a lady in the balcony, Doctor. For six silver ashtrays, see if you can give me the correct answer to the following. What is America's largest selling cigarette and why? Well, according to a recent survey of all southern states, more independent tobacco buyers, auctioneers, and warehousemen smoke Lucky Strike than the next two leading brands combined. And why not when they're so round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the little old draw? <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. F.E. Boone. We love luckies, yes we do Love those luckies the same as you There's no better in the land You made lucky strike your favorite brand O-L-S-M-F For deep down smoking pleasure There's no greater treasure Smoke one at your leisure Lucky strike John, congratulations. That was one of the best commercials we've ever had. And you know, and to show my appreciation for your good work, starting next week, I'm going to give you Hello, a... Hello, Mr. Benny. Thanks, miss. <laughs> I can give you Mr. Duffy's office now. Good, good. Mr. Duffy's office. Look, uh, this is Jack Benny again. Uh, can I speak to Mr. Duffy now? Yes, just a second, please. Hello? Oh, hello, Mr. Duffy. Uh, this is Jack Benny. Oh, hello, Mr. Benny. How are you? Fine, fine. Now, Mr. Duffy, the reason I called is this. You see, I've been with Lucky Strike now for five years, and there's one thing I'm not too happy about. You see, but I... Mr. Benny, we're doing everything to keep you happy. I know. We're I know, giving but... you adequate funds for exploitation, and you have an unlimited traveling account for your entire show. I know, and Mr. And we du... increased your budget for musical arrangements, as you requested, and also for your cast and writers. Yes, and yes, And you I... also have our permission to broadcast from anywhere in the country where you feel most happy. I know, Mr. And Duffy. we have given you the most important guest stars that money can buy. I know, but... what, but... Mr. Benny? What is it that's bothering you? Well... Well, what? Well, here it is, almost December, and Lucky Strike hasn't sent me my 1949 calendar. <laughs> Look, I've waited and waited, and I can't... Miss, I was just talking to Mr. Duffy. What happened to him? He jumped out the window. Oh, well, never mind. I'll call Mr. Osborne tomorrow. Come on, kids. Let's go to the football game. Ladies and gentlemen, the majority of America's hospitals now have patients waiting to be admitted. The situation in many areas is growing steadily worse because of insufficient nursing personnel. All young women between the ages of 17 and 35 who are high school or college graduates are urged to apply for admission in any one of the 1,300 accredited schools of nursing. Apply to the one nearest you. Thank you. Jack, here's the Coliseum. Where are you going to park? Oh, I'll find a place, Mary. I'll find a place. Park here for the football game. One dollar. Hmm. 
Park here for the football game. 50 cents. Hmm. Park here for the football game. 25 cents. Hmm. Park here for the bullfight. One peso. <laughs> Frank Hit Parade starring Frank Sinatra every Saturday night over this same network. And be sure to listen to Jack Benny on the Elgin Show, Thanksgiving Day. And don't forget to stay tuned in to Phil Harris and Alice Faye, who follow immediately, and to Dennis Day in the day, uh, in the day in the life of Dennis Day, each Saturday. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. From November the 21st, 1948, that was the Jack Benny Show, and Jack tries to uh, reach his advertising agency. Pretty good stuff, huh? Pretty good comedy. A couple notes on this one. Uh, Dennis Day in this sings the song Lavender Blue. And I remember that as being a song that was very popular when I was just an early teenager by Sammy Turner. I didn't know a lot about the history of the song Lavender Blue. Actually, it's Lavender's Blue. Lavender is blue. They make a contraction out of it. I remember (laughs) as a teenager, I had a girlfriend, and I remember her telling me this, that the song was about a girl that had, in quotes, had to get married. And tradition was in those days that unless you were chaste, you could not get married in a white dress. And therefore, she was getting married in a dress of lavender blue. And this was the love song of her young man who was marrying her and who had violated her. And he was saying, despite all of that, he loved her and they were going to have a happy life together. But in reality, that has absolutely nothing to do with this song. Lavender Blue, or Lavender's Blue, was an old English folk song and nursery rhyme that dates back to the 17th century. There are as many as 30 verses to the song and many variations of each verse. The earliest surviving version of the song is in a broadside printed in England between 1672 and 1685 under the name Diddle Diddle or the Kind Country Lovers, with the first of ten verses saying, Lavender's green, diddle diddle, lavender's blue, you must love me, diddle diddle, because I love you. I heard one say, diddle diddle, since I came hither, that you and I, diddle diddle, must lie together. Then it emerged as a children's song in 1805 in this form. Lavender blue and rosemary green. When I am king, you shall be queen. 
Call up my maids at four o'clock, some to the wheel and some to the rock, some to make hay and some to shear corn, and you and I will keep the bed warm. Similar versions appeared in collections of rhymes throughout the 19th century. Lavender blue, dilly dilly, lavender green. If you were king, dilly dilly, you'd need a queen. To bring it a little more contemporary, uh, Dinah Shore had a popular recording of uh, Lavender Blue. And Burl Ives had a big hit in 1949 from the movie soundtrack So Dear to My Heart. And that was probably why Dennis was singing the song in the, in the Jack Benny show tonight. If your dilly-dilly heart feels a dilly-dilly way And if you answer yes In a pretty little church on a dilly-dilly day You'll be wed in a dilly-dilly dress of lavender blue the song was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Now, I don't know how they can do that since it was a song that had been around for years, but maybe that is the first time a tune was put to it. Interestingly, it was Burl Ives' first hit song, and that was a really great movie. Do you remember that so dear to my heart in 1949? It was kind of like Song of the South. It was one of those where it um, combined animation with real life. Most of it was real life. Had a young Bobby Driscoll in it. Remember what a cute kid he was? He was in Song of the South, too. Cute kid and good actor. The poor guy, that ended up being one of the great, great tragic stories of, of Hollywood child actors. Uh, he just had a miserable life and a very early death, and, and that's kind of sad. <laughs> Dilly, dilly. 
that was Sammy Turner singing Lavender Blue, and that's that's the um, version that was really popular back in the 60s when we were teenagers. Lavender Blue, Sammy Turner. This is the one that we used to listen to on the Top 40 radio on AM back in the 1960s. indicates everybody it's time for Gunsmoke and tonight's episode was originally heard on the 18th of July in 1953 it's entitled the Wild West it's pretty good it was written by John Meston it features uh, Michael Ann Barrett I think John Daner's in this one uh, Joseph Kern is in this one and it features uh, a young fellow by the name of Yorkie Kelly who was an individual who made regular appearances in Gunsmoke, but he was somewhat of an anachronism in that he his age was never consistent. In this one, you see he's, he's a little older. In later episodes, you'll hear him as a youngster again. There was one episode called Yorkie, which was very, very touching. This is where he was first introduced, and then that, that particular show was repeated uh, at least, I think, twice over the uh, the long run of Gunsmoke. Yorkie's a great character and he's good in this one. Uh, when Matt and Chester, oh, no actually Matt is out uh, crossing the prairie on his way back to Dodge and he runs across this young boy who just had to put down his horse. Matt kind of gets entwined in his life and it ends up that there's a real dramatic thing taking place in the life of this young man. So let's give a listen. Here we go from uh, July 1953, this is Gunsmoke, and the name of this episode is Wild West.
around Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Smoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. I'd been up north for a few days... On the way back, I camped on the Pawnee River, about 30 miles from Dodge, planning to ride on the next morning. During the night, however, my horse twisted his knee somehow, and it was going to be slower traveling than I'd figured. So I started out before dawn. It was just breaking day when I heard a rifle shot up ahead. A half hour later, I spotted a fallen horse and the figure of a man crouched by its head. As I came closer, however, the figure stood up. And I saw it wasn't a man at all, but a small boy. He held a rifle in his hand. That's far enough, mister. I'm a friend, son. Put down your rifle. Hey, you sound like... Yeah, it's Marshal Dillon. That's right. Who are you? Oh, gee, I'm glad to see you, Marshal. You look familiar. We must have met somewhere. I'm Yorkie Kelly. Oh, sure, I remember now. That camp on the Arkansas. That's right. Oh, what happened to your horse, Yorkie? Busted his leg. I shot him just a little while ago. And I've been crying, Marshal. That's why I couldn't see you good. I don't know. Every man loses his horse once in a while, Yorkie. It ain't the horse so much, Marshal. It's my pa. Your pa? Oh, where's he? They rode off with him, Marshal. Right that way. You gotta go after him. Please, Marshal, please. Something will happen if you don't. Now, wait a minute, Yorkie. Take it easy. Just tell me what happened. Who rode off with your pa? I don't know, Marshal. It was dark. I couldn't tell. Well, let's sit down here. Come on. Okay. Ah. Now take your time and tell me the whole story, huh? I was out hunting last night, Marshal. I sneaked off to shoot some coyotes. Yeah? And then I heard a lot of horses coming. So I hid and watched them. Those were our horses, Marshal. And two men were driving them. They stole them. I know they did. Well, what about your pa? He was with them. They stole him, too. Well, how do you know? It was dark, but I could tell. The way he was riding, he had his feet tied under his horse's belly. That's why. Go on. Well, I followed him till my horse went down. He busted his leg in a prairie dog hole. So I unsaddled him, and and then I shot him. Uh, uh, Where do you live, Yorkie? Over there, about five miles. All right. My horse is lame, but I'll get you home on him. Go get your saddle. What about my pa? 
Ain't you going to go after him? I'll find him. But I've got to have a fresh horse. All right, hand me your saddle. Now get up behind me. That's it. You think there are any horses left at your ranch, Orky? We only had six, and they were driving five. Paul was on the other one. We're in a spot, then. My horse will never make Dodge. He's getting worse every step. I got a little Indian pony out in the pasture. Oh, but he's not big enough for you. Then you'll have to do it, Yorkie. When we get there, you'll catch your pony and you'll ride into Dodge. What'll I do there, Marshal? Go to the jail and tell Chester I sent you. You can leave your pony there and ride back with him. Tell him to bring some extra horses. We'll need them. We'll be just like a posse, won't we? <laughs> sure. And don't worry about your paw. We'll find him. We got to. You tell Hattie where I've gone, will you, Marshal? Hattie? Hattie ain't my real ma. My real ma, she's dead. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Hattie's awful pretty, but I don't like her much. Well, I hope you don't tell her that, Yorkie. She ain't as old as Pa, but she's awful old. Oh? She must be 30 anyway. I see. Well, uh, how old's your Pa? 65, but he's tough. You know, Marshal, I don't think Hattie's any good for a ranch. Why is that? I don't know. I just don't think she is. You'll see. Yeah. I'll ride real hard for Dodge, Marshal. We'll be tracking my paw before you know it. Sure we will, Yorkie. When we got to the pasture, I helped Yorkie catch his pony and got him started for Dodge. Then I rode on into the ranch, put my horse in the corral and walked up to the house. Hattie came to the door. She was young, all right, and pretty. But she looked more like she belonged in a dance hall than on a ranch. What do you want? My name's Matt Dillon, ma'am. I'm from Dodge, U.S. Marshal. Marshal Dillon? I heard about Mr. Kelly from Yorkie. I ran into him out on the prairie. Where is Yorkie? Oh, he's gone to Dodge for some fresh horses, ma'am. He'll be back by evening, and then we'll get started. Get started? Now, don't you worry any. We'll find him, all right. What did uh, Yorkie tell you, Marshal? Well, last night he saw the men who stole your horses and took Mr. Kelly. Where did he see him? I, he was out hunting, he told me, and he saw him ride by. So that's where he was. Darn little scoundrel. He's always running off like that. Well, I don't understand, ma'am. <laughs> well, that, that boy's got the wildest imagination. What do you mean? I, there's no trouble, Marshal. Kelly went along with those men just to show him the trail, that's all. He sold him those horses. Oh? Why, sure. Crazy Yorkie always stirring things up. I'm going to hide him good when he gets home. Yeah. Then you expect Mr. Kelly back soon, is that right? Sure. He'll be back. When, did he say? Today, I suppose. Who were the men he rode off with? Well, I don't know their names. That's Kelly's business. I don't interfere. Come on inside, Marshal. I've got a pot of coffee on the stove. I expect you could use some. We had coffee, 
and she insisted that I call her Hattie, and we talked for quite a while. It seemed she'd worked in a dance hall, all right, over in Abilene. But old Kelly came along a few months ago and offered her a home and respectability. And she jumped at it. According to her, Yorkie was the biggest problem she had, aside from the fact that living on the prairie wasn't exactly her idea of a good time. Oh, I'm sick of it, Marshal. Nothing but work and wind and dust and that awful kid. Are you... Plan to stick it out? Sure, I'll stick it out. Sure, I will. You'll get used to it in time. Tell me, Marshal. How's Dodge these days? Pretty lively? It was when I left. I was planning to move to Dodge once. Before Kelly came along. I kind of wish I had. Now. One town's pretty much like another, Hattie. The men are different. Maybe. I'd have got along real fine in Dodge. Wouldn't I, Marshal? Uh, sure. Why not? More coffee? Uh, no, no. No, thanks. It'll be night before anybody gets back here, Marshal. Uh, yeah, I suppose it will. You sure you don't want any more coffee? No, thank you. Uh, I I think I'll go see what I can do for my horse. He's pretty lame. Uh, I'll see you later. I'll be here, Marshal. I spent the day out by the corral, doctoring my horse and taking it easy. It was after dark when Chester and Yorkie rode in, leading three extra horses. But I still didn't know whether we were going to need them or not. I told Chester how things stood while Yorkie was watering the animals, and then we all walked up to the house. I explained to Yorkie that we'd have to wait for morning in any case. Hattie was waiting on the porch. Well, Yorkie, you ought to be real proud of yourself this time. We're going after Pa in the morning, Hattie. Can't track him at night. At least that's what the marshal says. That's right, Yorkie. Now, don't tell me you're going to make a fool of yourself, Marshal. Well, I hope not. Oh, excuse me. This is uh, Chester Proudfoot, Ms. Kelly. How do you do, ma'am? Yorkie, I could whip your Now, butt. wait a minute, Miss Kelly. He's done no harm. Your husband isn't back yet, and if he doesn't come in tonight, maybe maybe we better go look for him. How can he come home when they got him all tied up? Stole our horses, too. That's a lie, Yorkie. Those men bought our horses, and your father just rode out to show them the trail. Why are you saying that? You know Pa wouldn't sell our horses. Don't you talk back to me. You shut up, that's all. I won't shut up. You ain't my mom. You can't Now, Yorkie, now, you, you take it easy. We'll find your paw. I promise you that. Well, okay, Marshal. But you find him. We will. Well, uh, Marshal, I figured you'd all be back here, so I'd fix some supper. Well, say, now, that's mighty kind of you, ma'am. I'm awful hungry. And the Marshal also missed his dinner. Come on inside and we'll eat. Well, I'm going around back and wash, Marshal. You don't have to if you don't want to, though. <laughs> okay, Yorkie, we, we'll be along. Uh, Chester. Yes, sir? I don't think old Kelly's coming back tonight. We'll be riding after him in the morning. Yes, sir.
It sure is a lot cooler now the sun's down. I don't know when I rode so much in two days. Dodge yesterday and clear out here today. I must have covered a thousand miles. <laughs> well, maybe you'll learn to ride you keep this up, Yorkie. Oh, now, Marshal Dillon. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Huh? What's, What's the matter? Now, here they are. Their tracks go off this way. They got a whole day's start on us. We can't follow them at night. We'll find them. We got to. Hey, look up ahead there. Where? Where? Oh, it's a man. And he's afoot. Yeah, come on. It's Pa! It's Pa! Hey, Pa! Pa! Pa, you all right? We found you. Me and the Marshal and Chester, we found you. Oh, Yorkie. Boy. Get him some water, Chester. He's about played out. Yes, sir. Uh, sit down, Mr. Kelly. Chester's getting you some water. Here it is. Thank you. I needed that. They didn't give me any water. Where are they, Mr. Kelly? They've gone. Camped near here all day. And they left me. So as I die out here. Looked like I got lost and starved. Uh, they had it all planned. I knew it, Pa. I saw you with them and the horses. I knew it. Have you eaten anything? No, Marshal. They didn't feed me either. Wanted me weak so as I couldn't walk far. When they left me. Chester, dig out the jerky. Yes, sir. I'm old. Wouldn't have lasted very long. It was a good trick, blast them. You mean they were going to leave you out here to starve just so they could run off with your horses? No, it's more than that, Marshal. I'll have another drop of this water. One of them, fella called Webb Cutter. He's going to run off with my wife, Hattie. Soon as they sell the ranch, he is. Hattie had owned the ranch with me dead. Oh. I never did like her know-how. Here, Mr. Kelly, chew on some of this. Oh. And I got some hard biscuits, too, if you want to soak them in the water. Thanks. I'll, I'll be all right once I get something in me. Pa's old, but he's awful tough. Ain't you, Pa? Yeah. You're an awful fool, too, Yorkie. Oh, that's all right, Pa. We're better off alone, you and me, anyway. Who was the other man, Mr. Kelly? Uh, Rourke, he called himself. Friend of, friend of Cutter's. He's going to get his share of the money off the sale of the ranch. Did you know these men before? No. Hattie knew them back in Abilene. So they said. They had it all figured out before we got married. Oh, Marshal, there's nothing worse than an old fool. Well, you aren't the first man to be fooled by a pretty woman, Mr. Kelly. I was lonely, that's all. And I thought Yorkie ought to have a mother. Sure picked a good one. Just you and me, Pa. We don't need no woman around. Well, there ain't gonna be one long, that's sure. Look, Mr. Kelly, what did they do with your horses? They gonna drive them back to the ranch? That's what they said. Only thing that bothered him was Yorkie here. They weren't sure he was asleep. Hattie said she'd take care of him. I sure fooled him. 
Didn't I, Marshal? Yeah, you sure did, Yorkie. But if they're headed back to the ranch, Hattie will tell them we're on their trail and they'll all run off. I got to stop them. They got a couple of hours start on us, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I know, but those horses they're driving will slow them a little. Um, Chester, you stay here. You can ride in tomorrow when Mr. Kelly gets his strength back. I'm going to take the horse Yorkie was riding and a fresh one. I'll go with you, Marshal. I'll fight him. Uh, no, no, Yorkie. You've done your part. You stay here with your paw. Yeah, I'm the one that ought to go, Marshal, but... I just ain't up with that kind of ride. That's all right, Mr. Kelly. You take it easy and come on back when you can. I'll see you at the ranch. Mr. Dillon, you... Uh, you sure wouldn't have you... an extra horse, Chester, and you'd need it. Yes, sir, that's true. Well, good luck. Thanks. One thing in my favor was that Cutter and Rourke weren't riding as hard as I was. They didn't know there was any special hurry. I changed mounts every few miles, but along toward the end, one of the horses began to sull, and finally I had to leave him. It was just before daybreak when I came to the ranch. There were no lights on in the house, so I figured I'd beaten them after all. There was a room for my horse in the hay shed, and I put him in there and closed the door. Then I walked up to the house hid behind a rain barrel near the porch and waited. It was a half hour before they rode in. They put their horses in the corral and then came up to the house. She's awake. She's lighting a lamp back there. What's she need a lamp for? It'll be daylight in a minute. She's your woman. Why don't you ask her? She's my woman, and you remember it, Rourke. I seen you looking at her the other night. <laughs> One woman's just like another to me. They're all the same. They're all poison. For you, Hattie's poison, all right. I'm telling you, Rourke. But she's pretty. That's more than I can say for most. You forget she's pretty. Okay. There's something else about her I like. What do you... Well, I've been thinking when she sells this ranch, she gets a third, you get a third, I get a third. That's right. But whoever gets Hattie sort of gets two-thirds, don't it? You try that, Rourke, and I'll kill you. <laughs> I'm just joshing you. You really going to marry her, Cutter? I told her I was, didn't I? I didn't ask you what you told her. Shut up. Here she comes. Hello, Webb. Rock. What are you all locked up for? Old man Kelly ain't gonna come sneaking home. <laughs> come on inside. Hurry up. What's we haven't got matter? much time. What's the matter with you, Hattie? You're all upset. You'll be all upset, too, when you hear what I gotta say. You mean that Marshal Dillon from Dodge? It's just what I mean. And he's got another man with him. Chester Sutton or other. Well, I'll be... This fixes everything. Why didn't you take care of that bratty kid like I told you? He sneaked off to go hunting. He wasn't even here. So how could I help him? And he ran smack into the marshal. Now we've really got our heads in a noose. Suppose the old man's dead when they find him. Well, if he's dead, he can't talk, can he? Oh, it's worse if he's alive. Blast you, Hattie. Can't you do anything right? You're blaming me? Who would I blame? I didn't put that marshal on our trail. Uh, it don't matter now who did. What are we going to do? We're going to have to get out of here fast. 
I'm all ready to go just as soon as I get a riding skirt on. Wait. You ain't going nowhere. What? You heard me. We can't be dragging a woman around. You'd wear out in no time. Now you're making sense, Cutter. We'd never get away with her holding us back. So you're going to leave me here, are you? You're going to let me face those people? You know I'll go to jail, don't you? Oh, they won't do nothing to you. Tell them you got misled or something. I always go easy on women. You're going to run out on me. Oh, now, Hattie, you'd be better off here. They'll let you go and you can get on back to Abilene. And I'll come by as soon as they forget about all this. Oh, come on, Cutter. We're wasting time. They could be here any minute now. You cowards. You dirty, rotten cowards. Now, Hattie. Who is your mother, That's mister? That's enough, Hattie. I hate you. Go on, get out, both of you. I wouldn't have either one of you. Either one of us? <laughs> you didn't think I cared, did you? I'd have made one of you shoot the other before I was through. Pies don't cut three ways, mister. <laughs> now we all know, Cutter. What'd I tell you? Boys, there, that'll hold you. You hit me. Come on, Rock, let's go. You dirty dog! Ah, oh, forget it, Hattie. Maybe I'll get to Abilene sometime. So long. I'll fix you. I should have known about you. You gonna talk all day? Come on. All right, get your hands up, both of you. Get him up in the air. And don't try anything. Hello, Marshal. You touch that gun and I'll kill you. While you're killing him, what do you think I'll be doing, Marshal? Don't try it. Either of you. Hanging's bad, Marshal. I ain't going to hang. You don't have to hang. Kelly isn't dead. We found him in time. I don't believe you, Marshal. I think you've been here quite along. You ain't even seen Kelly. Yeah. You just want to see us hang. I'm telling you the truth. Oh, no. Lawmen don't tell the truth. Not to fellas like us, anyway. Do they, Roy? No, I don't believe they do. Well, he can't kill us both, Roy. We'll draw at the same time. I'm telling you, don't try it. Why not, Marshal? Let's kill him, Cutter. No! We killed him. We killed them both. Now, give me the gun, Hattie. I said, give it to me. Take it. You shot Cutter, Hattie. Why did you do it? I don't know, Marshal. Did you do it to help me? Or because he was running out on you? He's dead. What difference does it make? It could be murder, Hattie. You'll have to decide that, Marshal. Yeah. Cutter might have killed me. He might have. Well? Go back in the house. You can wait in there. Now they're both dead. Do you care? No. No, I don't care. What's going to happen to me, Marshal? I don't know. 
I think I'll let Mr. Keller decide that. Where is he? He'll be here tonight, probably. He's with Yorkie and Chester. Marshal, will I go to jail? I don't know, Hattie. Depends on Kelly. He's a nice old man. He wouldn't hurt anybody. I'm sorry I got into all this. I wish I hadn't. Marshal Dillon? Yeah? I just had a long talk with Hattie Marshall. Well? She tried to kill me, you know. She had a hand in it. She'll go to jail for it if you prosecute her. I know. But, Marshal, I can't send anyone to jail. Not a woman. If she was a man, I'd shoot her, but... What do you want to do, Mr. Kelly? Well, I'll get her things and drive her to town, Marshal. I'll give her some money. And then Yorkie and I will come back here. Yorkie will just have to grow up without a mother. And about me, eh, it don't matter none. All right, Mr. Kelly. I guess I wouldn't want to see her in jail either. We need women out here, good or bad. We need them. Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Michael Ann Barrett, John McGovern, Joseph Kearns, John Daner, and Nestor Piva. Harley Bear is Chester. Gunsmoke has been selected by the Armed Forces Radio Service to be heard by our troops overseas. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. This Monday night, Herbert Marshall has the leading role in a story adapted from Daphne du Maurier's collection called Kiss Me Again, Stranger. It's the eerie story of the birds, describing strange happenings on an otherwise quiet English countryside. Here at this Monday night on most of these same stations when CBS Radio presents the Summer Theater. Yes, this Monday night, starring Herbert Marshall. And remember, there's action as a policeman really finds it in 21st Precinct, Tuesdays on the CBS Radio Network. As originally heard on CBS on July the 18th in 1953, that was William Conrad as Matt Dillon. U.S. Marshal on Gunsmoke. Okay, it's Chester's Choice on a tune as I gather up all the shows and carry them back into the vault. 
charges of unemployment, he was sitting in the witness stand. The judge's wife called up the district attorney, she said, free that brown-eyed man. If you want your job, you better free that brown-eyed man. Flying across the desert in a TWA, I saw a woman walk across the sand. She'd been walking 30 miles en route to Bombay to meet a brown-eyed handsome man. Her destination was a brown-eyed handsome man. Way back in history, 3,000 years, in fact, ever since the world began. There's been a whole lot of good women shedding tears over a brown-eyed handsome man. It's a lot of trouble with a brown-eyed handsome man. Good choice, Chester. That was St. Louis's own Chuck Berry, late Chuck Berry, and brown-eyed handsome man. Well, that's going to do it for this week, everybody. We are out of time. This is Bob Bro. So glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. popular ed. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. 
you could miss it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> <laughs>